welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 3, Episode 8, Demons. Wait, that's the episode we're on? I watched a different one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I just got to wondering. change my notes to be the actual episode we're watching, so I'm glad I remembered that. Because <laughs> I'm looking at my notes and it says Season 3, Episode 7. I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> I thought that would have been funny if sometime we accidentally, because we don't really, other than you naming what episode we're watching next week, I, we don't really keep in touch on like, hey, did you actually watch it? <laughs> I just need to change the note for the outro of what episode is next week. So please excuse me a moment while I do that. Okay. Um, that's the right episode, right? Yep. That's the one that's next week. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I don't know how I forgot to do that because I like I usually have a whole system when I take my notes. It's like I empty out last week's and then I redo those bits for this week and then I add all the stuff of the episode and I just somehow missed that bit in the middle. But anyway, yeah. One of these weeks we're going to watch two different episodes and it's going to be great. (laughs) Oh, that's going to be interesting, especially if it's like because sometimes I'll go like go back and rewatch something so, like, when I'm doing my notes, I'll rewatch something. And usually, you know, you watch Netflix, you get to the end of the episode. When you pull it up, it's ready to start the next episode. Right. If I, like, went back and watched something at the beginning of Demons for this week, it would still be queued up to Demons when I went to go watch the episode <laughs> next week. Funny. Wait. Didn't, didn't I already do this? This seems awfully familiar. Oh, well, I've probably just seen it a hundred times. Yeah, no, yeah. no. No. I should make sure all my other notes for this episode are right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay. Everything else is good to go. Yay! Uh, so what what did you remember this episode? What what did what if you did, what did you remember about it? Or no, nothing. I actually vaguely did remember this one because of the fact that it was one of the few that they had, you know, people with Christianity. Yes. And they did the typical, you know, statement thing they always do with Christianity where they, you know, immediately took it to a dark place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't I don't really sway one one religious way or the other. I just noticed that's always what they do with I mean, in my personal life, I don't. So I always just notice like when they do Christianity, they always take it to the place of of, oh, God told me to do this and you know it's always something there's never like happy christian people i know that doesn't make good tv i yeah i mean that's true unfortunately mm-hmm. <laughs> people that are well adjusted and happy in their life don't make for like if simon was the main character yeah probably would have been a fairly boring hour of television yeah <laughs> oh so, but he makes a very good support character in this yes. episode we'll yes say. they do and he does look familiar. So are any of your fun facts about where we might have seen him elsewhere? Why, yes, Rachel, it is. Oh, fantastic. I can't wait to get there. Yes, there are there are many fun facts this week, actually. So yay. yay! I got to have a lot of fun researching stuff and then like just meeting dead ends in some research and not being able to like get anywhere and actually find out information about a certain thing, which frustrates me. Yay. We'll get to that when we get yay. there. Did you remember this episode? Yes, because I remember the dude with the hat. The cannon. <laughs> the cannon. I don't know. Why. And also Daniel being chained to the posts in the middle in like the village square. Oh. Like that was that was like one of like the promo stills, I believe, like for the show was SG1 being chained up in like the square, specifically Daniel, because he was sort of at the front of that podium, thing, whatever they're all chained to. Oh, you know what is funny for me is um, now it should be the other way around, but now I always notice when I see scenes in the Stargate episodes that you used to use in your fan music videos. Because <laughs> it should be like when I'm watching your music videos, I'm like, oh, that's from that episode. But no, it's the other way around now. So I'll watch the episode and be like, oh, that's from Carrie's video. <laughs> yep. I believe one of them is in this episode. Yep. Yeah. 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 That's what I do. Okay. Well, that's fun. I like that. Yeah. Which, if anybody out there is interested in watching any of my Stargate videos, you can find them on YouTube under the username Switch842. That's me. Yeah, they're they're pretty fun. Thanks. I made a Harry Potter one once. You did. I did. It was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Once upon a time. 
I liked it. I should yep. repost it because I don't remember whatever happened to it. I think I did. I share it, and then you because like you didn't have a YouTube channel or something, maybe. Mm, I don't remember, but I should find it and reshare it. The world needs to know. Does need to know. Yeah. It was very good. Yeah. yeah. So back to the actual episode. <laughs> okay. So this episode, demons. <laughs> Uh, its original air date was August 13th, 1999. It was written by Carl Binder. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, Binder, not Binder. I believe it's Binder. Yeah. Um, and was directed by Peter DeLuise, which you know because Peter DeLuise is in this episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in this episode, SG-1 finds a medieval Christian society terrorized by Sokar and the Unas and is accused of being possessed by demons. It's always And it's always like medieval Christianity when it was like the dark ages and like the not great time of Christianity. Like it's never like Renaissance Christianity or anything. It's always like medieval dark ages Christianity. Yeah, that's true. Which is like, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of Christianity. Many Christianity. Yeah. Anyway. But also does not make good TV. No, conflict always makes for good TV, blah, 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 blah. We know. (laughs) We know. We watch it every week. get it. We get it. We watch a lot of TV. We know. Anyway, um, so this episode opens with SG-1 exiting the Stargate on an alien planet and Jack commenting on the abundance of trees, which here's our first fun fact is just from this opening scene. Um, A, this is one of the shots I used in one of my videos. Um, Also, this is the same location that was used for where the Knox Stargate is, like the clearing on top of the hill, but there's like, there's more foliage here and like different set dressing, but same location as the Knox Stargate location, if you will. (laughs) I just had a picture in my head if somebody decided to just like leave a Stargate somewhere in the Vancouver woods. (laughs) After like after they had it on set and they decided, hey, we just leave it here for people to find. Just, let's just take it. Nobody's gonna miss it. Let's, let's go. Let's take it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been good. They remind. It could have been a really great promo too. They can- did that for Game of Thrones near in what like one of I don't know if it was like for the final season, but like one of the final seasons, like. They, t- they made, like, the throne the, oh, the, yeah. and, like, put it somewhere in the world and you had to, like, find it. I don't yeah. remember where it was found, but I do remember that was a thing that they did. I totally should have done it for Stargate. Yeah. Maybe if the internet was, like, more of a thing when Stargate was on the air, they probably would have. Oh, yeah, to get the word out. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. So... Sam says the village is 11 clicks away, which is just under seven miles. Because I was like, what? So what exactly is a click? So a click is a kilometer. Just so you know, for future reference, if you ever hear that, again, in any sort of military jargony way, click is military jargon for kilometer. So fun. Yes. Uh, Tilk then finds like a well-worn path through the woods. So apparently the people who live here are still using the gate for something. Because otherwise the path would be overgrown, blah, blah, blah. But there's a path, so people are coming and going from the gate with some regularity. It's encouraging. Yes. So they reach the edge of the forest and find the village. And I do say, I I like that little weird alien lizard creature that, like, scurries over a log. <laughs> which is, like, it's not great CGI, but I like what that means. That there are alien animals. Oh, that there planet. are foreign animals? Yeah. As it were. Yeah. Yeah. I just like the little things kind of help flesh out that this is an alien planet. They're not you know? just in Vancouver. <laughs> it's not just Vancouver. This is an alien planet because here's this weird lizard thing. Um. So anyway, so the first thing Sam notices is like there's a church, like like a church church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So somehow Christianity is here, which is. Very interesting, because Christianity wasn't the thing in ancient Egypt. Um, So Daniel suggests that these people were taken from medieval Europe through the Antarctic Gate, but like by which Gould. Okay, but my question is, like, wasn't the Antarctic Gate buried under ice in Antarctica? 
Yes. Also, I'm not quite sure how that would have gone unnoticed in history. Yeah, like the printing press wasn't quite a thing yet, but there's still written history at in in medieval times. There are still written accounts of what happened mm-hmm. back then. So, like a whole village going missing or something would have been noticed or, you know, a ship in the sky, even if it wasn't described as an alien ship in the sky, would have been noticed. Yeah, a whole bunch of people being taken from medieval England somehow to Antarctica in itself would have been also yeah, newsworthy. Like yeah, like these aren't people some, from some like remote location where villages are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of miles apart. England, even in medieval times, was... I don't, I don't like, not quite densely populated, but there were enough people there that a bunch of people going missing would have been like, hey, where'd they go? Where did this town go? That yeah. was weird. I could have sworn yeah. there was a town here. And as far as I know, there, there's no, cro- there's no like, Croatoan situation in England anywhere like we had here in the U.S., so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a little weird. foul on that one, Daniel. yeah. Which there's, mm, there's, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. There's some things that <laughs> don't quite line up with what Daniel's saying and with what reality is. So we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, but as they're sort of making their way through the woods and walking up towards the village, we find out some interesting things like Tilk has read the Bible. So they're discussing how, I think we've talked about this like ourselves, how the Gould take on the roles of deities of whatever culture they encounter or, present themselves as, you know, ancient cultural deities of some sort. So is this ghoul pretending to be God, like God, God, as Jack says? And Tilk says, I know of no ghoul capable of showing the necessary compassion or benevolence that I have read of in your Bible, which I mean, that's accurate. So how like how are these people here? What is the belief system and what what did the ghoul do or say? to, you know, take these people yeah. away. Unless it's a vengeful God doing a lot of smiting. Yes. We don't know. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. Yes, we will find out. So when they finally enter the sort of what I'll call the village square, for lack of a better word, um, they're first spotted by a little boy who runs over to his mother and, like, tugs on her apron and, like, points as little kids do. She looks up, immediately, like, runs away, grabbing her children because there's the boy and there's another little girl. And then everybody else also runs away. And then SG-1s is the whole we come in peace thing, but apparently nobody here believes that, so things aren't going well. Jack then spots a plaque, and Daniel says it's written in Middle English, which... Okay. Doesn't they ask if it's in English first when it it clearly is legible? Yes. And yeah, so Daniel's like, oh, that that's Middle English pre-Chaucer. But the Canterbury Tales by Chaucer are written in Middle English and are one of the most known, well-known surviving examples of Middle English that we have. So uh, Daniel's a little wrong on that. Oh, <laughs> no, this is not your episode. Yeah. So, but um, would you like to know some fun facts about Middle English? Sure. Is there a before English and after English? Well, so the, so there's Old English, Middle English, and then Modern English. Oh, okay. So Fair we're enough. we're currently in Modern English, as you might expect. Not and future English. No, not quite yet. Okay. <laughs> So, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, Middle English was spoken from about 1150 to 1500 AD. And during this time period, much of the the conventions and standardizations of Old English, because Old English was a very, like, standard and, like, centralized language, like, everybody in England spoke Old English, like, the entire country, which at that time was... Not typical, if you will, because writing wasn't great yet. Um, But all of that sort of became fractured and a lot of regional dialects then developed and became common. So the language then became more standard of Middle English when the printing press was invented by Johann Gutenberg in 1439. 
So, and this is actually when many spellings for modern English were first established, even though pronunciation has changed significantly. Is that where the whole theater, R-E-E-R, was born? Controversy was born. Yeah. No. (laughs) Yes. Um, Also, fun, okay, here's a fun fact within the fun fact. You know how, like, we we nowadays say, like, ye old bake shop or whatever? Yes. So the Y is actually a letter that's called the thorn, which is actually pronounced th. So it's actually the old. It's just the th was a single letter back then. Whereas man, that's less fun. No, take away I, that fun fact. I want my ye old ice cream shoppy. You can still call it that, but you're wrong if you do. <laughs> no, take that fun fact back. I don't okay. want that one. I'm sorry, it's out there. I can't take it back. I want to live in my happy ignorance with my yield ice cream shop. Okay, fine, whatever. Can we pronounce um, it the, but like oddly, like yeah, the, the I don't know. I'll try I don't, it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there's not much like early Middle English literature that survived due to like the Norman conquest and everything that happened in 1066. And it also became very sort of prestigious to actually write in French because the Normans came from France rather than English to be like, oh, I'm fancy. I'm with these people that who that came in and invaded us. So don't kill me because I'm one of you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like John Wycliffe and Chaucer from the 14th century are basically the only really well-known writers and poets that we have today from that era, mm-hmm. which if, if you get a chance, like go find a copy of the chanter of the can the Chanterbury, the Canterbury Tales by Chaucer. Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, I think is what I was trying to say. Like in Middle English, because Middle English is very interesting. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like just recognizable enough, but also like, I don't know what that says, but yeah. So it's a fun read. So you might want to read yeah. it when you're drunk. A little bit. I mean, I had to read it in college because hi, I'm an English major. That's what we did. Um, but yeah. It's really interesting to actually, like, read Middle English. I do remember reading it in school. But, yes, I I think reading it a little drunk would probably be better. Yes. (laughs) Um, And, wait, what was the thing where – we're totally getting off track now. But what was the thing where uh, the accent they had at the time to, like, make the most sense in your head – if you're reading it or no, this was for Shakespeare. This is Shakespeare. Yeah. Oh, okay. Was, was the um, closest to what a Georgian accent? Yeah. Okay. So Georgian as in South. Like, yes. The so the country. for all you fun people out there, we've had this conversation a few times. So the, the accent that is today usually performed when doing Shakespeare is not what Shakespeare's accent would have been. You're it, the accent that is closest to what, the accent in England was at the time of Shakespeare is actually the Southern U S Georgian, like from the state of Georgia accent, which, I mean, there's a lot of regional stuff down there, but it's like, go read some Shakespeare with a Southern American accent. And some of it makes so much more sense. Yes. It's way more fun that way too. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. What, what do I know at the top? Should I, should I do some Shakespeare off the top of my head? What do I know? Break Um, it down. Okay. Okay. Um, Puck's final speech from Midsummer Night's Dream. <clears throat> Please excuse me if I offend anybody. This is my best Southern accent and also my best Shakespeare as I'm getting into it. Oh, there you go. Okay. Here I go. If we shadows have offended, think but this and all is manded, that you have but slumbered here while these visions did appear in this weak and idle theme, no more yielding but a dream. I'll leave it there. I won't do the whole thing because it's too long. But it's nice, isn't it? Yes. So anyway, yeah. So that's Middle English, which... <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's there's then a goof either here with Daniel identifying this as Middle English or something he says in a couple scenes. Because in a bit, when they're talking about trepanning and stuff, Daniel says that these people... Or he like sort of agrees with Jack that these people have probably been here for at least a thousand years. But Middle English, as I said, wasn't spoken until like 1150 A.D. A thousand years ago would have been like 900 A.D. So this should be Old English or they were taken not a thousand years ago. They were taken less than that. 
or they were so. just really oddly spitballing that they were wrong. Like, yes, you've been here for a thousand years. Yeah, but I mean, that's like several centuries off, and at that time, completely different language spoken, so. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Something. So, so this is Daniel's, not his best factual episode. Yes. Yes. Um. So Jack then spots a woman who's chained to a post in the middle of the square and he gets that look on his face like, oh shit, something is actually happening here as we cut to the opening credits. Interpretive dance here. Yeah. So we come back from the credits and SG-1 obviously head over to help this woman and a man comes out like holding up a cross like he thinks SG-1 are vampires or something, pleading with them not to harm her. And this man is Simon, who... Fun fact, you may recognize as Hanno from the episode Korai. He's the one who accused Tilk of killing his father when he was a little boy. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, the same actor, but with like a shaved head. So got it. In, Kor- in Korai, he had like a chin-length bob kind of thing, and here he's got the shaved head, so. Man, if he was wearing Clark Kent glasses, I would have never recognized him. <laughs> well, yeah. Never. Uh, nope. Um, so the woman who's tied up is Mary and she's apparently tied up because she was chosen to be the sacrifice and she was chosen by someone who Simon refers to as the village canon. And if she's not taken, then the canon will just choose someone else. And basically Simon thinks SG ones are demons because they also came through the gate, which he calls the circle of darkness, which is where he comes from. But no, they're not demons and they don't work for him, whoever that is. But Daniel would definitely like to know more about him. But no, there's no demons here. Mary's not possessed. I think that was really the best thing for him to say of like, no, 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 we're not about him. But tell me more. Like, (laughs) I know, like. I don't, I don't really think this is the best situation to ask for further information on when they think you're associated with demons. But also, if you have to ask questions about who are you talking about, doesn't that also then be like, I don't know what you're talking about? As we'll find out sort of later in the episode. I mean, happens. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So anyway, so Mary's not possessed. She's probably just a little sick. SG-1 can probably help. Maybe. Maybe. Um, would you, So one thing I didn't know was what a canon is in terms of like a person. Would you like to know what I found out about who the canon is as a person? Oh, yeah, sure. Hey. Okay. So a canon, as you may have guessed from the context, is a church official. Uh, the canon may or may not be a priest. They basically run a cathedral, usually sort of like the business side of a cathedral um they're they're the body that has the legal responsibility for the cathedral and also are charged with electing the bishop or archbishop of that area and originally a canon was a cleric who lived in the precinct of the cathedral and the word just meant a priest who was ruled by a bishop so it's sort of like the bishop and then underneath him was the canons if you will. Oh, so that's actually kind of interesting that in this episode, he's like the head guy. Yeah. But because in reality, that wasn't really his role. Exactly. Huh. Yeah. Um, and in the Anglican church, some canons are actually laypersons, like they're not ordained at all in any way, which is also interesting. And the title can also be given to like senior or retired priests as like an honorary title, like once they're no longer serving as priests if you will they may be given the title of canon in an honorary manner so does that mean he's actually serving someone else well i mean it kind of seems like he is yeah if he's if he's the one who like according to simon he's the one who chooses who becomes the sacrifice that means there's somebody who who he's sacrificing these people to so he would i guess be working for or under that person entity being what you will. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It's not just a clever name. No. <laughs> so in Simon's house, they're looking over Mary, and turns out she just has a chicken pox. It's fine. 
She might get a little itchy, but she'll be fine. But Simon is still quite worried at this point because if she's not better very, very soon, the elders will perform the trepanning ritual to release the evil spirit possessing her. Daniel then explains, like, trepanning to Jack and says, well, they didn't call them the Dark Ages because it was dark. Which, okay, I did do some research into trepanning because some fun facts sort of came up when I was researching this episode. Would you like to know a little bit about trepanning other than what your preconceived notions of trepanning are? Sure. Okay. So I think most people these days think of trepanning as drill a hole in the head to get the evil demons out, right? As they explained in the episode. As they explained in this episode. But, like, not really. Like, yes, that was done on occasion, but it honestly has been used for millennia as just a medical treatment. And it's, uh, if you think, it's still something we do these days, like today. Like, if you go to the ER with a head injury and there's, like, bleeding and your brain is swelling, what do they do? They drill a hole in your skull. Yeah, there was a really good episode of Grey's Anatomy that did that. Yeah. I mean, usually, you know, these days it's done under, like, anesthesia and very controlled environments and stuff. And once the swelling and everything has healed itself, you they, like, replace the bone and sew you up and everything. But there's evidence that okay so the earliest trepanned skull was discovered in a neolithic burial site in france and is more than seven thousand years old oh man and there's there's actually strong archaeological evidence that most skulls like most people that had trepanning done as a medical treatment like survived like it wasn't like a death sentence that we sort of culturally sort of think it might be because of you know movies and media and stuff like it was a medical treatment and people survived because the medical treatment helped how in the world would they maintain a sterile environment to not die from the wound i mean there's that question which is probably why or how most people die just because you know yeah dirt and non-sterile environments and stuff but in general trepanning was not a death sentence well, it definitely wasn't this episode. Did you see? Yeah. The, like with the tool he was working at? Probably not. Well, Probably that's not. what that's yeah. what they had. That and that's what they would have used back in those days, and people would have survived. Ooh, well, so, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So there is then the sound of a horn being blown, and Simon starts praying over Mary, and it's like the prayer that was on the plaque in the square that Jack saw. And then we cut to outside onto a close-up of Peter DeLuise. Yay! He is. That's God, Peter that DeLuise. As he yells, the demon comes! Bring out your dead. Yeah, which, okay, weird thing, because I noticed it on, like, him and on Simon, but I like how they made the their, their teeth, like, gross. Oh, yeah, I noticed that, too. Like, the cannon had nice teeth, which, like, makes sense, but, like, it seems like general the general population had like the gross dirty teeth that medieval people would have had yeah i always find it really funny when they have medieval episodes and everyone has like happy pearly white teeth yeah which like that episode of supernatural when they went back to the old west and there was a like that prostitute who hit on dean and she smiled and she had like really gross teeth i was like mm-hmm. nice touch yep, yes. there you go because mm-hmm. that's what it would have been mm-hmm. yeah so the demon hey it's an unas what? Because, because Unus are, in fact, an entire species and not just one singular being. Which, did you ever think that, like, the like the one time you met an Unas, did you ever think that Unas was only that one Unas? No, I did not. I know. I'm like, so, like, why would Jack ever think it was just that one? Because I know. I it's figured- always been- Sorry, I figured that there was, like, not many of them anymore, because obviously the gold were not really inhabiting them anymore, but no, I never thought there was just one. Yeah, because, yeah, as you say, like, they were always explained as the first hosts, plural, of the mm-hmm. ghoul, so. Yeah. Obviously, there's more than just one. Um, but, yeah, I guess if you think about it in the fact that they've been around a very long time, it's possible they've maybe all just died out by this point. Mm. So we're under the impression maybe he thought that one they found was the last one. I yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, because he was sort of stuck in that cave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the ghoul left all of the other unas because they found humans and we were better apparently. Oh, right. Yes. 
Although the Una seem really awesome as as a creature to inhabit, so they do seem kind of badass, don't they? I do like how in this episode, when <laughs> later on when Daniel and Jack, when Jack is doing his usual like, "Come on, you guys are idiots. Honestly, you're believing these guys. Come on, they're not real. They're not gods. Just wise up, people." As if the people are just gonna be like, "Okay," but like, <laughs> he does it in every single episode. I mean, I know he has to be that guy for the episode, but it still bugs me when he does it. But I do like how in this one, Daniel was quick to be like, well, he is a large creature that's really strong and regenerates and tells you he's a demon. Yeah. Gonna go on to say it's not a stretch for these people to believe that he's a demon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do I do like that part when that happens. I love that part of this episode. Especially like, because ah. it's like Daniel, like, it's like Jack, like, talking at Simon and Daniel's kind of whispering at Jack's ear, but blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then Jack being like, hey, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. They're strong and they regenerate and they're yeah. huge and they're scary monsters. Demons. Yeah. But not demons. No. But no, yeah, no, they're not demons, no. Mm-hmm. Big and scary, but definitely not demons, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so anyway, so this Unas who speaks with, like, the, the goulded voice inflection, if you will, uh, has come to claim five souls for his lord, Satan who is Sokar, according to Dilk. How did they figure that out? I don't know that's how... What, that's a plot hole of mine. Of like, how in the world do they know which Gould? Yeah, like, unless Tilk, having read the Bible and therefore reading some descriptions of Satan, is like, hmm, that sounds an awful lot like this Sokar guy. Because this isn't, like, the first time Sokar has been mentioned in the show, and he's always yeah. been sort of mentioned as sort of this... Lord of the Underworld death kind of thing, which is yeah. what Satan is in the Bible. So maybe he was just like, hey, maybe these are the same thing. But then again, that means that the show is taking the Gould and turning him into legend rather than the other way around of the legend yes. existing first and the Gould just being like, yep, that's me. Well, no, no. I think... I think this lines up with the whole Satan is a thing, and then Sokar is like, "Hey, Satan, hi, that's me." Mm. I think that I think that is what happens here. Okay. I don't think Sokar came and said, "I'm Satan," and they were like, "Who's Satan?" And he's like, "I'm evil." Ah, it was. <laughs> what was that again? <laughs> I'm evil. Ah, <laughs> so convincing. <laughs> <laughs> Which means, yeah. though, this this whole village isn't worshiping God, really. They're fearing Satan. That's what Daniel says. He's like, yes. I don't think we're dealing with the God situation here. We're dealing with the devil. Yes. Which is actually a really interesting twist. Like, whoever thought of that in the writer's room, good on you. Because they were like, wait a minute. Yes. I like that idea. But yeah, yeah. This, this whole village is fearing Satan. Yes, but also because, as Tilk says, there's no gold that are sort of, like, good enough to be God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The devil makes sense in this situation, I think. So somebody was reading the Bible, and they were like, ha-ha, found it. <laughs> this I one. Like this, I like this one instead. So, uh, back in Simon's house, he unwraps a package that has the tools necessary to perform a trepanning, but SG-1 do manage to stop him and promise to help free his people from the Unas and Sokar's terror, since I, I, Tilks basically says, like, their fear of him is the, the greatest power that the Unas and Sokar has at this point. And Simon's like, you aren't afraid of him? And they're like, nope, we killed one before, we can do it again. And so the fact that the Unas are big and strong and scary and those people have no weapons and he probably could have just killed them all. But he's not. Fear is the worst weapon. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if that really works in this particular instance. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, So Simon believes that God has sent SG-1 to help and they're basically just like, do you want us to do this? Which... Why are they asking him this question? Because he's like not the guy in charge or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like they're asking just this random Joe Schmo on the street. Do you want us to kill your leader? Yeah. I mean, okay, but like, apparently, there's no time to talk because the cannon has returned. Yay! It's 
So this is the guy who will choose the five people that will be sacrificed to the Unas. He is like the spiritual leader. So it's up to him to determine whose souls are already filled with evil. Okay. Why? Sure. Yeah. Um, and he's very upset that Simon has let SG-1 into his home and says Simon's soul is now unclean. And he notices Tilk's like, symbol as First Prime and accuses him of being a demon. And Jack's basically just had enough. Like, he's not a demon. We're not demons. No one's possessed. That thing from earlier, it's an Unas. We've killed one before. We can do it again. Blah, 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 blah. It's this, like, what you think is happening in the sewage situation is not at all what's actually happening. And the canon just says, if they came through the circle of darkness, then their souls are unclean. Jack's like, all right, fine, bye, have fun with your sacrifices. And the canon then touches this ring that he's wearing and a bolt of lightning, question mark, (laughs) strikes the ground like right near SG-1 and they all get knocked unconscious before they can leave. So where is this ring supposed to have come from? It was passed down... He says it's been passed down for generations, but, like, yeah, who gave it to him? Where did it come from? Because it it doesn't quite seem like gold technology. It's kind of fan theories I've read on the internet say it may be some sort of perverted ancient technology, as the ghoul often what do. It looked like. yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looked more like ancient technology. Yeah, it's a, it's a little weird. What exactly this like? What's the thing in the sky? And what it, like? Why does he even have it? Yeah. And why doesn't he use it on the freaking Unas? I know. <laughs> why wasn't that the first thing? <laughs> I'm because like, awesome. If, if this can take out like five humans, why don't I use it on this guy? Because then he loses his power, and he's a power hungry maniac. I would have thought I would give it a. Look, gave to you. I am your sister. I don't know. Why does your internet connection always like cut out when you say really awesome funny things? When I'm on a rant, where did you? Where did it leave off? Basically, after I stop talking. Oh. <laughs> and I'm leaving this part in the edit because the people deserve to know. Oh. What happens? Yeah, <laughs> I will try to recreate. Could you hear me or did that cut out? It was like in it. It was in and out. And, you know. Oh, man. Well, what I tried to say, what what I heard on my end, it was awesome. And it was funny and it was great. (laughs) But it was something to the effect of if he has this ring that could take out like five people, why doesn't he use it on the Unas? Because then he would be the savior, right? And they would be like, oh, you're our savior. You're awesome. We're going to worship you instead. So it really wouldn't take away his power. It would give him more power, wouldn't it? That's a very good point. Nah. Because nobody seems to, like, like the sacrifices. Like, nobody thinks these sacrifices are a good thing other than if somebody else gets sacrificed, I'm not killed. But they don't seem to be happy about people in general being killed. So, yeah. yeah. Nah. That's very interesting. No, mm. I don't know. I'm interesting. interesting. When the inter- I'm interesting when the internet's working. Yes, <laughs> you're interesting all the time to me, but <laughs> <laughs> but part of the time to the internet. Only part of the time, yes. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so SG1 wake up in the cell, and Sam has been disarmed. Jack's like. Duh. Yes, of course we've been disarmed. We're in the cell. We've been put in prison. Of course we've been disarmed. Like, I don't know. That was weird. But um, important note, Tilk's not there. It's just Daniel and Jack and Sam. And Simon comes over because the cell is just sort of, it's not really in a building. It's just sort of like in the square. There's this barred off section of a building somewhere. It's kind of weird. I don't quite understand the purpose of it being where it is, but other than plot needs. Yeah. And who was kept there before? Yeah. I don't, maybe the people who were chosen as sacrifice were like put in there the night before or something. No, they would have been chained to the town square for the whole night. Or were they just put there like in the morning? No. Well, I mean, SG one gets chained there overnight. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. Their jail is weird on this planet. Mary was there for like a week. 
<laughs> something. Yeah. Um, so Simon comes over and tells them that it was decided that Tilk was to endure the tests, which you can hear is said with a capital T. Mm. Uh, and Tilk is then dragged back into the square with like villagers yelling at him and he's kind of bloody and, and has definitely been beaten up to some degree and he gets like not really lashed to a pole but he's like pushed up against his pole and somebody takes this leather strap like around his throat and like holds his throat against the pole I don't know they're basically restraining Tilk against some sort of pole in the square and Tilk tries again to insist like he's not a demon and he doesn't serve the demons and blah, blah, blah. And the cannon is then handed a red, hot, glowing metal poker. And according to Daniel, this is the mark of the devil, which is one of the tests of witchcraft. And the mark of the devil is a mark somewhere on a witch's body that was supposedly immune to pain. The cannon then touches that poker to Tilk's like first prime marking and obviously Tilk does not react. So proof one is given. And as Daniel says, this is not good. I'm not sure how he would have absolutely no reaction at all. Well, the skin has already been cut open and filled with molten gold. So I think he's just the, the, the nerve endings are completely dead there. Mm. Given what has already happened. Not to even that. any like heat transfer. I, I don't know. I mean, I thought that, was, I thought that yeah. was weird. I it's maybe a little weird that the gold didn't start to melt because yeah. gold is a very soft metal. So yeah. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, nothing happened. So hey, not good times for Tilka Head. Mm-hmm. So the second test is the water test, and SG One and everybody else are led to the shore of a lake. And a large rock has been chained to Tilk. And basically, they're going to shove him in the lake. And if he sinks, he's innocent. But if he floats, he's guilty and will then be killed. So basically, either way, he's going to die, which is just awesome. And um, before they shove him in, the canon says, Archangel St. Michael, defend us in battle. Thrust into hell, Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl upon the earth. Amen. Which... This is the prayer to St. Michael, which was written in 1886 by Pope Leo XIII. So about a thousand years after these people were on Earth. So the canon should not know this prayer. Just saying. That's just, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so not the, the best episode, you guys. Not no, no. Um, the rest of SG-1 start yelling and be like, he's not a demon, don't do this, blah, blah, blah. But obviously they don't listen, shove Tilk into the lake, and naturally he sinks and seemingly drowns. And as the canon says, God's will has been done. Fuck you, canon. Mm. I think they would have come up with a new prayer. I mean, they should have something. I do find it interesting because they, you know, they say that, like... When all these people were taken and brought to another planet, they were kind of stuck in time because the ghoul kind of, like, make them maintain where they are to keep them compliant, right? Yeah, yeah. But you'd think over all the time they'd been there, they would have come up with, like, you know, something slightly to the left, you know? Something different, even if it's on the same level. I always find that kind of interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because... Like, the the kind of prayer, like the canon says, I could see as being a thing, but it's just the fact that it's the exact, like, you Google this, and it comes back as the prayer to St. Michael. Like, they didn't even change the verbiage or reword things, and maybe a little bit. Yeah, or come was, up with a different saint entirely, or yeah. something, yeah. Something maybe more directly, like, from the Bible kind of a prayer thing, but no, this was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a little weird. I find it weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yes. So SG-1 are back in the little jail cell and Tilk is lying on a table. Like, is he just like lying on a table in the middle of the square? Is that I don't, I don't where know. the table is? And I don't understand why there are people constantly tending to him, just like tiny wiping his body. <laughs> well, they're preparing him for burial. I mean, like, that's weird. Yeah. Um. So the canon comes over to SG-1 and says that since Tilk has been proven innocent, he can be given a Christian burial, which, like, insert the world's biggest eye roll here. 
But also he's letting SG-1 go as long as they remain in their chains until they're back at the gate. And Jack is just like over and done with his asshole. And Daniel is too. He's just a power hungry monster to them who uses the ring to keep the village in check. And they want nothing more to do with this person. They don't like him. No. Yep. Yeah. So the cannon leaves and Simon comes over and apologizes for what's happened. And Jack isn't really super happy with Simon either right now. But it also kind of seems like Simon is the one who convinced the cannon to let the rest of SG-1 go. And so what happens next is a little weird. So Jack asks for their gear back. Like if we're being like, oh, can we as well have our stuff back? And then Simon's like, can you help us if we get if I get you your gear that sort of like leap from Jack, like, hey, can we just have our stuff before we leave? So I'm going, will you help us? Like, what? I don't. Like, I missed a step. Hold on. Yeah. It's like, was something cut out here? I don't. Those two things don't really seem to connect as directly as they are in this episode. You know, that might actually be something that they cut it out because there is a scene later on that it definitely seems like something is missing. Okay. We get to it. Yeah. Okay, you'll point it out then. Yes. Okay. And and then, again, Simon's like, will you help us? And then Sam goes, you know you'll have to bury the gate after we leave, which, again, is there was there something missing? Like, the, the, the points aren't quite connecting as directly as they should in this conversation. Right. Um, but we do learn that apparently the people of this village are forbidden from even, like, looking at the gate they can't go anywhere near it they can't even look at it they can't make they can't make eye contact with it no no it's eye contact is for pain. yes no so another villager comes in and basically they're ready to do the trepanning ritual on mary and daniel again tries to talk simon out of this and he goes jack and jack's like no jack's immediately like no we we can't do this and then Daniel goes, we can't condemn a young girl just because one man has made a pact with the devil. <gasps> Which, I mean, I love that. Like, thank you, Daniel, for that. Because, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they're sort of freed and basically told to be like, all right, get to the gate and leave. Daniel just goes like, fuck it. I'm going to go help her. I'll see you later. And heads back to Simon's house. Mm-hmm. And then Daniel, Jack just kind of like sighs and looks at Sam and then follows after Daniel because that's what Jack does. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what heroes do. Yes. So inside Simon's house, Daniel manages to get, manages to convince him not to go through with the trepanning and is like, we'll take you back to earth with us. There's no demons. You'll be safe. And Simon is like, oh my God, yes, please. Thank you. Good choice. Do you find it weird in the scene too that like the other random extra that's in there that's helping with the ceremony at this point in time doesn't go <gasps> blasphemy how dare you he's just like oh, that's cool they're gonna, they're gonna take him with him a little bit he yeah says absolutely nothing no yeah. reaction from this dude whatsoever when you think the villagers would have been like <gasps> scandal yeah like you're gonna go to the circle of darkness no i know right yeah he lies to you if it's such a forbidden thing, why are you so willing to go with yeah. them? Yeah, but the other dude that's in the room is just like, nah. Okay. So we then have a quick cut back to Tilk's body still being prepared for burial by the women from earlier, apparently just out in the open in the town square. Because the set is this big. That's why Yeah. And then back to Simon's house and Mary's feeling better. And Mary's like, you healed me. And they're like, no, you just got better because you were sick. That's all. Yeah. We didn't put, take your demon. You were just, you were sick. And then you got better because that's how illnesses work. Yeah. Um, oh. And then, and Jack then asks Simon if he has the keys to their shackles. And then says like keys. And then nobody says anything. And I don't <laughs> quite know what the end of the scene is supposed to be. <laughs> They did or did not have keys. I don't know. Apparently not. Because no. Then Tilk wakes up and the women scream. Because of course they would. And so everyone comes running because why are people screaming? And but Eshiwan is very happy to see Tilk alive. And basically when Tilk figured out what they were going to do, he put himself into a deep state of Kelnorim, which is that meditation thing that Jaffa do. And Sam's like, oh, the oxygen in the water is the Gould symbiotes 
native environment so you were great and it filtered out the oxygen and fed it to you and yay junior saved your life yay let's explain it so it makes sense yeah okay and then they're like obviously this doesn't look great to to the villagers because this guy was dead and now he's alive but they're like there's a very logical and perfectly plausible explanation for what you're seeing and what has happened I totally thought that more people would have been like, he's risen like Jesus. But no. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes, exactly. Nobody, everyone was like, demon spawn. No, but everyone yeah. should have been like, no, he has risen. Like, we cleansed his soul and he arrived. But no, then the canon comes back and is like, demons, I told you they're demons, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so basically, SG-1 and Mary will be the five that are given as sacrifice to the Unis. And Jack says to Sam, Major, next time Daryl gets the urge to help someone, shoot him. Yes. Ah, funny quips. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Simon pleads for Mary's life and asks that he be allowed to try the, tep- the trepanning. And you dare question me, the cannon? He's like, no, no, I'm sorry. No, of course not. Obviously, no. And Mary is dragged out of the house and pleads for Simon's help. But all he does is apologize. And Jack's like, don't apologize. Help. Like, yeah. do something. Boo, Simon. Boo. Boo. I totally um, thought that Simon was going to end up changing the post next to him, but he never quite gets that far. No, because he, like, just, he, he, kowtow, he kowtows enough to the cannon that the cannon's like, mm, okay. Mm-hmm. But, so the next morning, the Unas comes back and Jack mouths off, as he does, and one of the villagers sees sort of what's going on and is confused because... If these people are servants of the devil, why are they resisting, like, being taken to see the devil, supposedly their master? Which is a very good question. It is. It is a very good question. And then the Unas recognizes that SG-1 aren't from around here, but he doesn't really care, and he just, like, tugs on the chain and leads them away. Mm -hmm. So they're walking through the woods along the edge of a ridge, and Jack sort of looks down the hill and then looks back at the rest of SG-1 who apparently immediately know what Jack is thinking and Daniel Daniel whispers to Mary that she should get ready to take a little tumble with them and then at Jack's signal they all throw themselves down the hill pulling the chain out of the Unas's grasp and he roars and runs off after them. Yeah, he catches up really quickly. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Well, I mean, he is an Unas, so. Yeah. Uh, So we have a quick scene back in the village where Simon starts to approach the cannon about something, but he just, like, dismisses Simon with threats of Simon being the next sacrifice if Simon continues to question things as Simon is wont to do. So this is the other scene where I noticed, like, something was missing because, like, they have Simon tentatively walk up like he's going to say something, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't. He just looks like he did or wants to or whatever. And then the first thing that the canon says is like, your questions are going to get you in trouble. As if he did actually ask something. Yeah. Yeah. This is another scene where it's like, Sun- yeah. Something. That's, that's what I was talking about before. Where okay. like, something was left out. Yeah. yeah. Because even after the canon says what he says, Simon doesn't say anything. Yeah, no. And he's like, your questions are going to get you in trouble. I won't be able to help you next time. It's like, he didn't actually say anything. Yeah. He just kind of looked at you. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, quickly, the Unis manages to catch up to SG-1 and Mary and stops them by, like, stepping on the bit of chain that's dragging behind them, which... Why is Jack letting that just drag on the ground? Because, like, (laughs) they're... They're running through the woods, so surely it would, like, get caught on something, even if it wasn't the Una stepping on it. Like, there's logs and trees and stuff everywhere. Like, yeah, I'm, really, I'm not really sure. Up yeah. And, you know. Um, but Simon then appears out of nowhere with Tilk's staff weapon, and they, are start, they all start yelling at Simon to shoot at the Unas, which he finally does several times. Apparently with a paintball gun. <laughs> yes, well, the Unas blood is bright green, as we have seen in the past. But they don't have it, like, as a usual dye pack that, you know, when they do the, like, when somebody gets shot, right, they have the pack that explodes out, so it still yeah. looks like they got wounded. It really just, like, looks like he was shot with a paintball. <laughs> it does. It's, yeah, the, these effects could have been a little better. They're not good. 
they yeah. are not good. No. Um, but he like he shoots the Una several times, including basically a point blank range, but it's not enough to kill it. And the Una slaps the staff open away and then backhands Simon, who goes flying because the Unas is very strong. And then the Unas goes after Simon, leaving the staff weapon right there. And as she went, like, Mary, go get it. Because also, like, the Unas had taken that bit of the chain that had the, the pokey thing. It, I don't know. The big, yeah. big end, like, pokes it, like, sticks it in a tree. So they're basically all chained to a tree. And Mary's at, like, the end of the chain. So luckily, Mary's able to reach out, like, just enough so she can reach the staff weapon. And then they pass, like, the staff weapon down the line until Tilk shoots the chain that's stuck in the tree. And then they're free. But, like, it didn't look like the thing was really stuck that far into the trees when they just, like, yeah. pulled the thing out of the tree. I tell you what, though. From all of this of showing, like, how badass the Unis really is. Like, you can shoot it four times with a staff weapon. And it's still walking around. And, like, I'm not quite sure why the ghoul actually switched to humans. I know. Well, I mean, it is still ghouled. Like, this is this is a ghouled Unas. So, right. there's but a ghoul like, in it. You can't shoot human ghouled people, like, four times before to, you take it down. As we see in a little bit. What? <laughs> yes. Um, so, the Unas is chasing after Simon, and Tilk has blasted everybody free of their chains, and Jack orders Sam and Daniel to take... Mary back to the gate, and he and Tilk are going to go after Simon and the Unas. So Simon pauses in his running to catch his breath against a rock when the cannon now appears out of nowhere and knows exactly where Simon is in the woods. Somehow. Like you do. Like you do. And unfortunately, the Unas has caught up to them, but Simon bravely stands in front of the cannon to protect him. But again, the Unas just backhands him out of the way and goes after the cannon. And we cut back to Jack and Tilk running through the woods and finally reaching that little clearing. And the Unas is apparently dead on the ground with Simon unconscious and the cannon sitting there like amazed or in shock at everything that has happened. And Tilk confirms that the Unas is dead and the cannon seems to have had a change of heart about everything. And there's no demons to be found. And he hands over his ring to Jack when he asks for it. And why did he ask for it again? I was trying to remember that. Like, why would he give that thing away? Because he didn't need it anymore because the Unas is dead? That, yeah, that, that was... I guess. I mean, it doesn't even really mix with the plot line later. Like, there's no way he would have given that thing away. Yeah, no. Unless he, are... unless he figured at some point he'd be able to take it back after he killed them in five minutes. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess. Um, but as Silk says, game. like... Sokar will still be waiting for this Unis to return, and if he doesn't, then he'll send more people. Okay, so Jack's like, after we leave, you have to bury the gate, and the cannon's like, yes, okay, get it, done. So they all meet up at the gate, and Mary is very happy to see Simon alive and well, and the cannon thanks everyone for showing him the way, and Jack orders Sam to start styling the gate back to Earth, which she does, but then pauses because guess what? What? The ghoul that was in the Unis is now in the cannon. Stop it. I did not see that coming. Neither did I. And Tilk aims his staff, but the cannon, like, lunges for him. So Jack has to shoot him, and he dies. And Simon heads over and recites what Daniel calls the prayer for suffering souls. Which goes, by the sorrows you suffered in your agony in the garden, in your scourging and crowning with thorns, in your crucifixion and death, have mercy on the souls. Deliver them from the dire torments they endure and admit them to your most sweet embrace in paradise. Is that also from something relatively modern? I don't, this is the, I couldn't find who wrote this or when I was able to find. It is... Sometimes called the prayer for suffering souls or the prayer for poor souls or the prayer for souls in purgatory, which mm-hmm. that may give us a clue as to when these people were taken from Earth because purgatory wasn't like purgatory is not in the Bible. Purgatory is not a thing in the Bible at all anywhere. Um, the first written record of the word purgatorium, which became purgatory, 
um, is from 1170 AD. And then we have Dante's, you know, Inferno, Purgatory, and everything. Um, but the like the church didn't start setting out the rules and regulations, if you will, for for purgatory until 1215 AD. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't when these people were taken from Earth. I don't know, but apparently purgatory was a thing when they were taken. So, because the prayer it's is a prayer for souls in purgatory. Time of old, new, modern English. <laughs> Some somewhere in old modern English, middle old or middle English. I don't know. Mm. There's too many discrepancies to nail down a time period as to when these people were taken from Earth, which annoys me. It's just ye old England. The (laughs) old England. But now the demon is truly gone. They will bury the gate once SG-1 is gone and there will be no more sacrifices. And as Jack says, uh, thank God, the end. Yay. Yay. So I do have one more sort of fun fact for the episode and sort of the show in general from this point forward. So back when they were doing uh, like the water test with Tilk and they were going to show him in the lake and stuff and SG-1 started yelling and some guy like clubbed Jack in the head with something to like get him to shut up and he sort of has that like bloody cut on his eyebrow. Yeah. So that's just a Jack injury. That's not like a Richard Dean Anderson injury. Because like a sort of a lot of times when actors get scars in sort of obvious places when they're in the middle of filming a show, it will be sort of incorporated into the show to be like, hey, this character now has the same scar that the actor does. No, that is just a Jack injury. And so from this point forward, like for the rest of the series, one of the things that happens in makeup when Richard Dean Anderson arrives on set is that they like, Shave a little bit out of his eyebrow to simulate a scar from that injury that Jack received in that scene. <gasps> that is really interesting. Of yeah. all the continuity things they got right, it's that. They picked that yep. one? Yep. It's <laughs> really kind of funny. You know, which, like, reading that just reminded me of, like, so Maz Mickelson has a little, like, scar across the bridge of his nose. From an injury, and in so many of his movies, something happens to his character where he gets, like, hit in the face, hit in the nose, and, like, right in that place where Maz has the scar, so the character can then have the scar. But, no, this is just a Jack thing. Nothing to do with Rick. That is actually really interesting. Mm -hmm. I can't believe they continue to keep that up for the entirety of the show. Yeah. I wonder, I really wonder who was like, yes, this is staying. It was Rick. Rick, time. Rick is actually the one who wanted it. Like the him getting hit in the head wasn't really in the script. And then he was like, I think we need something to happen here. And so him and his makeup artist were like, what if we did this? And the makeup artist was like, yeah, sure. Let's do that. And so yeah, let's hit you in the head. Yep. Forever. That's yep. kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So, Rachel, what memos do you have for us this week? <laughs> You know what I think the memo is? I really think that they need to shorten the time at which the SG teams need to check in after initial contact because you think that they would have had needed to have like backup sooner, right? So they were there for what, like a couple days at least. Teal freaking died. So you'd think they'd be like, okay, this is the first contact. You go on the planet. Call us in an hour. Tell us you're okay. <laughs> or like a couple hours, you're like, whatever. It And I think before this, it was like three days or something. Yeah. Or 24 hours, like whatever. Yeah. It's... I'm going with shorten, shorten initial check-in time. Okay. I like it. I can like, see it. Yes, this plan yep. is cool. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, like, Teal freaking died. Yeah, exactly. Before they even checked in with, hey, stuff's gone wrong. Stuff's gone left. Yep. Stuff has gone very screwy here. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Um, the title this week, Demons, I think fairly straightforward. And unfortunately, no fun territory titles. They're all just whatever that language's name is for demons. Oh, none of them Satan. All hail Satan. Nope. All just Satan. demons. 
Yep. All right. Yeah. Well, that's no fun. Nope. None of them are the Dark Lord. Nope. So. That's fun. Uh, final thoughts. What do you think about this episode in general? Uh, I think meh. There are things I liked about it, and a lot of things that I was like, mm, I think. So I think it evened out to, you know, from the eh, parts and the mm, parts, it kind of left me with a mm, feeling. Okay. I can agree with that. Yeah. Eddie Izzard style. Just <laughs> meh feeling. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> Keiko Dan. No. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Yeah, I sort of put this like it's not great, but it's not terrible. But like some of the stuff just doesn't really line up with what like Daniel says in Middle English and Old and blah. But that's me being my nitpicky self. So, do you think this was an episode where they were like, "Awesome, we can send all of the actors that take place in the SGC on vacation"? Possibly, yeah, because it's really just SG one and then a bunch of extras. Yeah, there's there's yeah. no. It takes place fully off world. Yeah, like, there's no Hammond at all. No. No. So, yeah, maybe. Hammond's on vacation. Yep. <laughs> oh, me. okay. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore Rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G Rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Rules of Engagement. Which one? So we both can watch the same thing? Rules of Engagement. Rules of Engagement. Okay. Got it.